0: This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PMP Industry Insider Podcast, where we look at what is changing in the industry and we take you to the front lines to those that are driving those changes in the industry. My name is Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Home Services, which happens to own Triangle Pest Control, as well as Triangle Lawn Care, as well as the CEO of CoMarch, march a digital marketing and sales service organization for the home services industry that focuses yet again on pests and lawn. And with me, as always, is the highly esteemed Mr. Dan Gordon. Dan, would you like to say hello, as well as introducing our topic and our guest?
0: Yes, as a a highly esteemed co-host, I would uh, like to uh, introduce our guest. Actually, very exciting. He's been a friend of mine for, I don't know, probably 25 years or more. Um, He's uh, a veteran of the pest control industry. He's a sales trainer who owns a consulting firm called Sales Training by Design. Uh, He got his start in the industry in 1979 as a technician, then got promoted through residential and commercial sales, Regional and sales management, and eventually to the director of sales for a distributor, but struck out on his own as a consultant quite a while ago and uh, a very successful business. And we have lots of clients that use him and um, have made a significant impact on their um, uh, sales, uh, you know, uh, uh, the results and whatnot. And with that, I will introduce
1: Patrick Quigley. Hi, Patrick.
2: Hello, Dan. Don, how are yeah.
1: we're, we're cueing the applause and screaming right now. Yes, you know. Good, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I'm Sure, there's one or two. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, <laughs> uh, the
0: the live audience, the canned uh, uh, clapping. I guess
1: that, uh, Hey, that, that's one that's one that. quick story before we get going, and I definitely don't want to take any more of Patrick's time here. But the very first time I ever met Patrick, this is just a funny story. This was many many years ago, when I first started. It's like back in 2006 he reminded me of like the Tasmanian devil. Like he had so much energy when he was talking, like I was worn out just watching, watching him. So I'm I'm super excited about, it.
0: Oh, we, we, we've, we've had him uh, when, when I was uh, at Viking, we had him come in and train and he's running around the front and throwing people $5 bills, at you know, crumpling them up if they got the answer right. And he, he's very animated. If you, if you have a large sales staff, he's uh, to put on the, what he does one-on-one, but put it on for, for a group. It's, it's, it's uh, very entertaining. Yeah, well, you, very we efficient.
2: may not have that kind of energy today because I'm sitting down and I really don't want to <laughs> run into the room. So, um, <laughs> plus I'm getting older. No, I'm just kidding. You can't throw money. <laughs> in the room, so. yeah, yeah. I can't throw money no.
0: into the room.
1: well patrick let's let's jump right into this and you know i love this topic about how we're gonna you know how do you supercharge your sales efforts obviously you have a lot of experience in doing this and i cannot tell you how excited i am uh, to hear what all you have to say but let's get some easy questions out to start with and let's start with just kind of the basic things right so like in your experience what do you consider to be kind of the low-hanging fruit when it comes to improving? Your sales effort. And then what's the easiest thing? I mean, like, what are the quick wins here? What are the base hits that, that anyone can kind of do that will have an immediate impact on their sales?
2: Well, you know, this is kind of a loaded question because you can't really answer it holistically because there's so many different ways people are are, are handling their sales processes. But I can I think that the lowest hanging fruit can only define, can be defined by what a salesperson isn't doing in the field. So let me give you a couple of examples you got a guy named John, he's a representative of your organization, he runs leads, he closes, a, he closes at a reasonable clip. Um, the, the problem or opportunity that John has, he has no interest in calling customers back that uh, he left proposals for. His follow-up process is missing and it's obsolete. This is John's low-hanging fruit. Uh, second example is you got a, a rep, Chris who loves to run leads. Um, he represents the company uh, very well. Um, but he's, he never upsells to the client. So he's out there for termite and he doesn't present mosquito or general pest control. And he feels that he's too pushy and he doesn't have, he doesn't want that type of reputation. His low hanging fruit is to get him out of that mindset. Um, I wrote an article that's on my, on my website, uh, sales by If you go to the blog, blog section called serve. Uh, there's an article called Serve, and it talks about how we we serve the customer. We don't sell to the customer, um, you know. And that that serving them is providing them with those additional services that helps that client out. And that low-hanging fruit for Chris would be to get him out of the mindset of he's a he's a um, a high-pressure, pushy sales rep. You don't need to be if you look at it a little bit differently. Um, I'll give you a third example. You got Jennifer, who's a commercial sales rep. And she sells the heck out of your commercial leads, but every time she gets a lead, she runs out 45 minutes to an hour to the account, inspects it, comes back, writes up the agreement. The next day, drives another 45 minutes out there, makes a presentation, closes the business. But she's not prospecting in and around that area that she knew she had to go back that second time. So her her low-hanging fruit would be territory and time management. And you know, I don't, I don't. I don't believe that there's um, this one grand swoop of, hey, this is how you create the best sales. I think it comes from each individual person of what they're doing right and what they can improve on. And and I think that's that's what happens in our industry when I'm working with my clients is, you know, you can have seven sales reps with seven different potential opportunities to work with them. And that's where I would see that low-hanging fruit. So, you, so do uh, you… You, so,
0: there, you, you, so, so you have, you know, you pointed out those three things, and they seem kind of obvious, and maybe they are to them or not. But so, how do you get those three sales reps to focus on, you know, uh, follow-ups to the guy who doesn't want to follow up? Uh, well,
2: you know, let's just take that one for instance. I mean, you you have to have in your company a follow-up process, and when somebody's not following the process, it's like somebody. That you have a technician that gets the fishing flu every monday and the pattern absenteeism is you got to fix that fishing flu and if you don't that person's no longer with you um you know your sales reps you know as far as i'm concerned you own the leads right as a company you're spending money with Colmarch to generate these uh sales opportunities as far as i'm concerned as an owner you own the leads so you you own them until that customer says you know, yes no or you know if you call me one more time I'm calling the cops right so that follow-up that follow-up process is is a process that a company defines now I, I could define them but it all depends on the personality the, the follow-up process that happens in in um, Connecticut New York North Jersey is far different than it would be in in Georgia or North Carolina or South Carolina because the pressure of calling clients is a little bit different so you have to take all that into consideration when you create this this follow-up process because you can turn customers off uh, but you also lose opportunities if you don't follow up so every everything comes down to being out in the field seeing what they're doing and then making recommendations on what they need to do in the future to to change those uh, that behavior like the you know you take you take um Jennifer, for instance, if she doesn't recognize that she's losing opportunities uh, when she has to go back to a commercial account two or three times before she closes it that she should be prospecting in and around the area she's not seeing the full, full potential of her territory
1: so I have a kind of and you you touched on both of these uh, when you with dan 's question here, but you know everything that you were all the examples you were using really comes back to process and so When you work with a company, is it more that folks just simply don't have a sales, a defined good sales process, or is it that they have a process and there's just no accountability? Like what is more
2: common? I'll give you I'll give you an example. Um, I look at if you could imagine a puzzle piece that's two inches high and seven or eight inches long and each piece of the puzzle put together makes a picture. What I see is people have puzzle piece number seven at number two and number two at number five and number five at number seven. And then sometimes that last piece on the far end called follow up is missing. Somebody stole it or they lost it. Right. So that that puzzle piece is is part of the process that has to be defined and then pictured and then trained on. And I'll give you another example. I could have a client that has five, six, seven, eight, nine sales reps and I'll ride with each one of them for a week or two and they're getting ready to hire another sales rep and my definition is that they have seven or eight sales processes and then when they hire a new sales rep, they have now nine sales processes because that sales rep that comes in gets to train with all eight people and it takes a little bit of each one of them. You can't manage it. You can't manage based on that. You just can't manage based on that.
0: Now, how often are those three issues uh, or something like it versus just sales technique, understanding what to say and whatnot? Cause I've seen you work with people, you know, to overcome objections, things like that, not just the process, but uh, so, so uh, you know, can, can you teach somebody sales?
2: Well, I mean, I think, um, yes, absolutely. I mean, I think it really comes down to, I think it comes down to personality, hunger, and the ability to learn. I you know, there's I don't think salespeople are born. I think personalities are born. I think that um, we can teach PC, but you can't teach personality and you can't you can't change somebody's DNA.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, uh, PC you mean pest control or as yeah. as, as opposed yeah. to uh, politically, correct. politically correctness. Oh, that's I, I knew that's what Dottie was correct. thinking. That's
1: where I'm going with It's so funny you I say knew. that, Dad, because I'm sort of thinking, I guess you can't teach people to be politically correct. Is that a <laughs> no, good teaching? Yeah,
2: Probably but, not. It but <laughs> depends, depends on who you are. Yeah. And where you are. <laughs> that's right. And where you are. You guys brought that up, I didn't
0: yeah <laughs> right. well, you said that's something before, like uh in the northeast, you can be really pushy in the south, it probably doesn't work i, I think that that's what I took away from that uh, uh, the, the
2: I was hoping that it. i I was hoping that I knew my audience and they knew what p c meant yeah, yeah. Right. right, never mind the fact that we. Press control is
1: all we do and we go to politically correct. So anyway, right. All right.
0: So, <laughs> hey, let, let's talk about metrics. So in your opinion, what are the top few things we should be measuring uh, salespeople on?
2: Well, first and foremost, um, the business days off, meaning Monday through Friday, you can't hit your quota if you're taking days off during the week during the busy season. So one of the metrics is are, are my salespeople coming into work every day? Um, from, from a numbers perspective, um, what I instill in my clients, and Dan, you, you probably can attest test this, um, and that is you got to know your numbers. You know, you really have to know your numbers. You have to know your numbers in your business, and you have to know your numbers in the sales process, and since we're talking about the sales process, um, just, just a quick example is, let's say you have a sales rep that sells $50,000 in a given month, and it's closing percentage is in the 60s, mid, mid-60s. Uh, That means he's probably proposing somewhere around $80,000 a month. Well, my metrics is what happened to the $30,000? You know, some of those folks may be buying based on lowest price. Somebody bought based on personality. Somebody bought based on who was there first or who did the best presentation. And the the metrics is how do I I take that $30,000 that's uh, on the table and bring it to the company? And without, without knowing your numbers and knowing where exactly the leads are coming in, who's proposing them, who's closing what, you, you you can't have a metrics for your sales. So you really, really need to know your numbers when it comes to sales. And when when you have six, seven, eight sales reps, that, that's very important. And then not to mention, we keep bringing this thing follow up back because I'm telling you, it's like the Achilles heel of owners that sales reps don't follow up but um you know there you you have to track that as well what is what is this sales numbers coming in each month from proposals that were given previously and again it's like keeping your fingers on the pulse you know you have to know your numbers that's that's the metrics so you
0: uh actually um um you know you you were saying that um that, that um, you know, uh, you've got, you you've got to follow up. You've, you've, you've got, uh, uh, you, you told us about a guy who, who sells 50,000 a month at 65%. And I'm thinking that's pretty good. I'd probably leave that guy alone. But what you said is, no, you, you want to look at that other 35% or so. It, at what point do you say this guy's good, leave him alone? do you never
2: do? Well, listen Dan you, you you, you, guys probably have sales reps or the, I'm sure you know companies who have um, not sales reps with technicians that customers love him they love her they they want her they only require her but then when that person is no longer with you when you start looking at the accounts guess what there's all kinds of problems and it's because they had a good personality with the client but they weren't doing their job so there's the same thing happens in sales. Is if I've got eighty thousand dollars out there in proposals, there could be something that original question is, you know, what what's the surefire way of fixing things? Is you have to identify what people are doing. I, I don't I don't necessarily think sixty five percent is very good, depending upon what type of leads are coming in and where you are geographically. So I. I 65 okay, but I want somebody to be in the 70 to 72s. and if you're okay with 60 61 and you're the 50 thousands fine That's okay. That's okay. If that's what your company wants to do That's all you can produce that's there's nothing wrong with that I mean, I work with companies that do two hundred thousand dollars a year and I work with companies that do 130 million dollars a year So, you know, what's what's the focus? Okay.
1: Um, okay. And I just I just want to say something here because I think this is it's it's important to say, you know in pest and in lawn most i would say a large percentage of the owners were previous operators Bingo. and so what you see what i see consistently is that their operation is tight i'm talking technicians are well utilized chemical cost everything is tight as can be office and sales disaster right <laughs> <laughs> because that's what they know right they would never allow their technicians to get away with what they let their sales and their office folks get away with and it's only because it's it's their space right it's what they know and so i I think the thing i would add to what you're just saying there patrick is manage your sales team just like you would manage your technicians you know manage your office just as if you were managing manage your technicians because it's just so I, I see that you know it's just so common especially in smaller companies when the owner wasn't operator before he or she started, and so um, it's a great point there.
2: Well, keep so. keep this in keep this in mind because you've got to you got to recognize the um, the process in which somebody owns a business is is that if they've worked for somebody else, they were a technician, and technicians hate salespeople, and then yeah. all of a sudden that technician does really well and becomes a supervisor, and now has to hear how his five or six technicians don't like the salespeople. And then that supervisor gets tired of it and becomes a manager or then takes it and says, hey, I want to be in my own business. And now they're in their own business and they've hated salespeople their whole life. So they look at that as kind of a, an offshoot. But hey, I think it's the most important part of the business is you, you can't grow if you're not selling business and selling it at a good clip. And, and then on the other side is making sure you're keeping that customer so let's let's transition here because that's it's a great
1: segue into our next question and and this this is such a a complicated question but we're going to talk through it what is your take on you know there are companies who say we don't really have salespeople all of our technicians sell and we have vice versa where they have these really highly functioning dedicated sales teams and their technicians don't sell anything I don't know that it has to be a one or the other right it doesn't need to be a dichotomy but kind of what's your take on either model and then you know in your opinion is there an ideal scenario you know where there's maybe one or both or even a hybrid just curious your thoughts on that
2: well first of all that's why I love this industry because there's more than one way to peel a potato and the way you peel a potato in Maine is different from Florida and different in Texas different in California Uh, in California with uh, termite you have to have separate outside sales reps I, I I do not have a problem one way or the other. I love working with I love working with salespeople. I love working with selling technicians. I like I like to see selling technician get so good that they advance into a sale a full-time salesperson. Um I like working with the call centers and with customer service reps. And you know, it's um, you know, we talk about yeah. I you know I've heard I've heard from my clients that they've had to turn off the coal March marketing because of the lead flow. And I go, you know what? I make <laughs> by, by the way,
1: i'll I'll send you my check is in the mail as we speak by the way, so I appreciate yeah. that little plug there. Yeah. I gotta <laughs> tell
2: you, man, there's nothing nothing more that makes me crazy, but i got I gotta tell you this the in the in the hiring environment we have right now, and hopefully in the next couple months, it's going to change. But in the hiring environment, one of the biggest Achilles' heel that our my customers and many customers have is this hiring of, of employees. Now, hopefully, after what happened the other day, things will change, and maybe over the next quarter, uh, in Q4, we'll 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 see that change. But you, know, you talk about low-hanging fruit when you're stopping your marketing because you can't handle the sales, you cannot grow, and whether that that growth is from and i listen and i i work with clients that have inside a call center that their call centers sell close to a million dollars a year that in the, the individuals like you might have two or three people in the call center and they're selling between 750 and a million dollars a year i work with some companies that that sell even centricon over the phone i don't necessarily like that i think getting out there in front of the customer talking to the customer looking at the other opportunities looking at the ability to serve clients is my optimal. That's the way I would have my business. But it's okay. I don't. I don't. I don't push somebody to do one thing or another based on their geographical area, or their technician's ability, or their salespeople ability. I think there can be a certain hybrid that you have a little bit of each. Um, you know, you can have. You know, I call them drop dead pests. You know, you define your drop dead pests. Those phone calls that come in that are those drop dead pests means that absolutely no ifs ands or buts about it we're sending somebody out to do an inspection because i'm not going to put my reputation on the line for a a cockroach infestation or a bed bug situation or you know a lawn situation where it's it's in you know it's in disarray so um i would then kind of push those to i need an outside rep and i don't know how you can do this without having an outside rep without unless you're just you're just rolling the dice and saying hey you know what I'll see what happens. If we lose some, we'll lose some. If we lose money, we lose money. I'm not a big fan of my clients losing money. And it's so uncommon these days too. I mean, like I know for me,
1: when I first got into the industry, it's pretty doggone easy to sell when someone has a problem. It's when you have to flip it or upsell or whatever that, you know, a lot of folks, they just don't train that. And it's, it's low hanging fruit. I know I have a client, I'm sure you guys are familiar, but you know, Terminex Triad is wonderful at this, Burns and Harden. And you know they they used to do a presentation on upselling their clients. And and they're just simple questions, right? Hey, did, have you had anyone look in your crawl space recently or or whatever? They just they start discussions. And so and that can come from both technicians and salespeople. Right. And and kind of getting back to what you said before, if your perception is, is that we're serving the client. It's kind of annoying if you, you're my pest control company and you're not telling me about something that you do or something that you see. Um, so, great. Yeah. Well, here,
2: here's the real here's the real deal in across the country is if a homeowner buys termite control from a termite company, they think they're a termite company. If they buy general pest control for a from a company, they think they're a general pest control company. Why would they think Why would they think a pest control company does uh, mold remediation or or right. insulation or a flu or or gutter cleaning or whatever the other services that we might offer? We 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 over the last ten to fifteen years. We've, this industry has diversified so much in the other services that we offer, you know, it gives it gives a sales rep a portfolio of things to sell. Let, so let's go back to the call center versus
0: the outside rep. Uh, Cause what we're seeing is a lot of call centers, some of these guys, like you said, are selling $750 million. I mean, in a call center, that's a whole lot easier than going from stop to stop to stop. It, do do you see a point where we don't have to have that outside rep? We have clients who just don't have the outside rep. Absolutely
2: not. I I still have another 10 years or 15 years to work. So no, I think you need outside (laughs) sales. (laughs) I love it. Absolutely. Uh, You know, first of all, I think you got to stop calling them CSRs, right? You know, they their first impression representatives, first of all. But a CSR's position is like spinning plates on a stick. And there happens to be 25 sticks. And when they're spinning all those sticks and then you're giving them the responsibility of sales and, and it's not in their wheelhouse, they'll do it. They'll do it OK. But you you got to define a call center and what a call center does and what your CSRs do. Because if you expect your CSRs to spin all those plates, also sell, take 10 to 15 minutes talking to somebody about what they what they should be buying, your closing percentage is going to come really down, because come down a little further, because the CSR is only thinking about I've got to make two or three more calls to reschedule this appointment because the, the knucklehead technician called in sick on Monday and I've got to reschedule some stuff. So you're you're going to have so you've got to clearly define what a CSR is and what a call center person is and then you can draw the line between the two because there's nothing worse than having a conversation with your csr that she's not doing something that she's responsible for because she's on the phone for two and a half three hours a day talking to customers about sales because that's not their position their that their position is to either move that to a call center or move it to an outside sales rep and I, I just think that that's why you might have some some inconsistencies in that call, in that customer service office area versus, you know, the technicians.
1: I, I just want to add one thing here, too, and I think it's really important. And, and and I and I only want to add to this because I've seen it personally in my own company. Culture here is just so important. If you've got a negative Nancy or, you know, or someone who's got a dark cloud over them in your office, Get them out immediately you know when you have people who are on the phone and they they are pro sales and they understand that's part of the job and they're having a great time and have a great attitude that is i mean it just goes so far i mean we i am in the unique position that i get to listen to a lot of calls just because obviously i work with a marketing company and you hear some things are like oh my gosh like that's so simple Like, well, how much is this? And the the CSR, the salesperson, like, it's this amount. And then, yeah, all right. And it's over. And you're like, what? (laughs) Yeah, wait a minute. (laughs) Um, So I just add to, I I mean, I 100% agree with everything that you said um, there, Patrick. And I think, you know, that it's, you've got to have the right culture of people on the inside just because they will make and break your business. And so, so that brings me to another wonderful question. And this one, it always seems to befuddle, uh, a lot of folks, myself included, but in your opinion, what is the best way to motivate and incentivize your salespeople? And let's just say we can talk inside and outside. Doesn't really matter. You know, is it contest? Is it compensation? Is it both? Like what, what do you think is the best way to motivate and incentivize?
2: Uh, let's kind of take these one by one. Uh, easy oh, yeah. answer, easy answer, time off. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know that I talked earlier about not having, um, your sales reps taking Monday through Friday off, but quite honestly, when you have a busy season and you're driving your your sales reps to work every single Saturday for seven or eight months, and I know I know people are twitching right now, and they, I think they're cringing right now, going, I can't believe you're saying this, but man, you want to <laughs> burn somebody out, burn them out, and if you think you got a revolving door of salespeople, um, you're you're going to have it because you're you're not you're not giving them their folks time to spend time with their family during you know the best time of the year is when it's nice out and they can spend some time so I know you're cringing out there and I apologize for that but hey you know don't burn your guys out or your gals out it's it's uh, not good Um, you know contests are good but however usually with contests um, it's the same two three people that win every month and then it kind of gets demoralizing for the for the other team members Uh, especially if territories or opportunities are not equal I don't. Um, I, I think contests are fine, but you got to really be careful with, um, you know, how how they're how they're created and what the end goal is. Like having a contest, say, who sells the most home service plans this month, um, gets, you know, ten dollars or fifteen or a hundred, three hundred, whatever the number is, and then the same three or four people will each month get those and. The reason is because they only sold three or four and no one else sold any, right? So the contest must say, <laughs> you know, we have to sell as a team 20 of them. And if we get 20 of them, the top two people will then receive the the the, the stiff or whatever it might be. So make sure you're clearly defining your contest and what the objective is. Um, compensation structures, again, I think having a structure where it's for your salespeople where it's tiered uh, where the more money they sell in the right areas um, there's tiered incomes or bonus opportunities Um, I I I have worked with some clients that have salespeople that all they need to make is forty five thousand dollars a year because their spouse is a superintendent of a school district and she's making boo bucks. And all he needs is that $45,000 to go fishing and hunting when he wants to go. Now, I, I might sound jealous here, but hey, that, that rep's <laughs> not hungry enough to sell and make 90000 because he doesn't need to. And And I've seen that. So, you know, you have to clearly define with your compensation structure how people can make more money. Again, it goes back to the hiring and and the hunger and then i think a mixture of both and or all three you know you've got uh incentives contests spiffs um you know compensation it all works well um i i also will say that it only costs 55 cents to send a letter home saying, hey, you're doing a really great job as a technician or you're doing a really great job as a sales rep. Uh, you're doing a really great job for the company and sending that to their home so that their family can read that as well. And that only costs 55 cents. So we're not talking about a, a ton of money. We, did, we are talking about money in the beginning, but it really doesn't take that much to incentivize people, keep people pumped up and wanting to come back to work so you you mentioned
0: something interesting so you uh, a lot of people have this impression that salespeople are all about money but you're talking about time off is that an age thing or do you know uh, is it younger people that want more time off or older people or you know how do you define that the business i think i running? think it's
2: i think it's people we're hiring today the millennials the gen z's uh, mm-hmm. some may say that the gen z's are gen lazies but um i you know it's it's just the way they are. It's the way they're wrapped. It's it's their DNA. And you know you have to take that into consideration. I mean, I think every one of the folks out there today probably hired somebody in the last last year that came to work. Um, not you know, f- for no other reason other than to save money. They live at home. They come to work. It gets really hot. They have to go into a crawl space. They come back out and say, you know what? I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And they quit and and you just spent you know $30,000 to get this person trained and registered and certified and all that now they work for a month and it's too hot you know I don't want to do this and then they quit and leave and then uh, you're back to back to the drawing board mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I, again it's it's about work ethic
0: so getting back to what uh, we said before uh, when it comes to hiring would you say salespeople are born or made in other words can you train somebody who doesn't have a typical sales personality to be an effective salesperson. A lot of times we, we sometimes say that people who are too technical are not good salespeople because they sometimes give out too much information and, and, and information overload to the potential customer. How do you?
2: Yeah, that's why I, when I was selling commercial pest control, I would never bring one of our entomologists or our technical people. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this, this comes back, this comes down to your geographical territory, the number of leads you receive, your reputation within your organization and within your geographical area, you can have a fantastic reputation. You can have you know, 40, 40 trucks on the road and you do a really nice job from the customers and then the, the referrals come in. And it's pretty easy to close that business because it's referred from from the neighbors. But when you when you really want somebody to sell in those high numbers, they've got to have the ability, the the mindset it has to be in their wheelhouse to be able to ask for the ask for the order, um, present other products and services, and really push to make you know put their sales numbers up and also to make more compensation for their family. So I I don't I don't think mm-hmm. salespeople are born. I think attitude, I think personality is what they grow up to learn. And then when you have somebody that's a technician who has a great personality and they're doing a great job with their customers, it's about taking that person and saying, hey, here's an opportunity. Let me show you the big picture here. I wanna move you from this year as a selling technician to more sales and a little bit of service and then eventually in two years, I want to move you to a full time sales rep. And here's the sales opportunity. Here's the here's the, uh, the compensation. Here's the the money you can make if you want to do this, because I think you have the right personality as a person. And then that that part of it's easy to teach. You can teach that person how to close business with processes. So and, and
1: I I was going to say, and I guess the other part of that is, is that not every personality. Works for every sales type, right? And I'm just, I'm thinking about this. You know, I used to have a sales guy. I'll never forget. I hired him. And day one of training, we go out to do this termite inspection in this commercial building. And the guy knows zero about pest control. He knows nothing about termite control. He doesn't know anything. And he sold it. I watched it. Like I'm like, literally like, you know, I told him a price and he sold it on nothing. Now, I would never take that guy into a into a boardroom that we were going to sell, you know, three commercial high-rise buildings on bedbug control. They would see right through that, right? But I think there's probably some personalities that work in some situations, but other personalities that don't. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you disagree with me on that, Patrick. But I mean, I, it, that was something that I observed. Do you agree with that? Do you think that it doesn't matter? We can take anyone? Well, I, would, I won't
2: disagree with you because you told me the check was in the mail for something I said earlier, so I don't, wanna, <laughs> I don't want to... <laughs> look there there's there are i have been in situations where the sales no matter what is a lay down you could walk in there um and, and be late and you know not do a fantastic presentation they were going to buy anyway because they knew the owners uh, the the owner of the business and they talked over dinner the night before or the weekend before so whoever walks in there's going to close the business and then i've seen situations where you really have to work for the sale i mean i i was involved with or the casinos in Atlantic City, and sometimes it took 18 months, two years, three years to get a sale. Um, but you have to work on that. The, the personality from, and you know, I'll draw the line in the sand here you, your personality of somebody who sells residential is completely different than somebody who sells commercial pest control. Mm-hmm. You're, you're talking about two different animals you're talking about a hunter, and you're talking about a farmer. And your farmers, and and I don't mean anything by this, but a farmer is the one who runs the leads that are generated by the company, and all they're doing is cultivating that lead to to sprout it, to close it, and your hunter has to go out and get the business all the time. If you're lucky enough to be in a marketplace where your sales rep, your commercial sales rep is getting four or five leads a week, not a month, a week, they're probably gonna be very, very successful because if they're doing a little bit of self-generation with four to five leads a week, they're probably gonna be pretty successful so depending upon your market depending upon your company's reputation depending upon your the demographics um, you know that personality has to be flip-flop and I've I've done it myself but it's a hard one to find when you have somebody who could do residential and commercial all at the same time and I would never recommend to hire somebody out of the gates to do both so there's a
0: lot that we talked about in, in in terms of what goes into this thing, and uh, I know you've worked for a bunch of our clients. But uh, what's the a day in the life of Patrick? So somebody hires you to train a salesperson or a couple of salespeople, and you show up at their office. What is it that you do for them? And um, you know how do you um, I, I, you know I hear rave reviews, and um, you know that, that uh, at first you know you're gonna. Hey Patrick, but does it really matter because the sales are going to be increased? What is it that you're doing to help them?
2: Well, you know, if, if I if I could push the clocks back, I would probably I would probably have called my company something different because sales training by design is not just sales training. When I go into a company, I'm I, I do kind of an elite assessment. I'm I'm look I I I will ride with sales reps and and that's if that's the objective, but I've I found that I have the ability to find out things deeper inside the company that we need to work on, whether it's, you know, the communication between salespeople and, and, and CSRs, salespeople and call center, um, salespeople and ownership, supervisors, technicians. Um, I, I look at the overall business, the culture, uh, what we're doing out there in the field and really evaluate the, the company as a whole i my job is to my job is to keep my clients um there are clients that have decided not to use sales training by design after their first visit because i'll come back with a long list of things that have to be fixed and i'm sure you've seen this as well dan when yeah. you are looking at you know people's business from a numbers perspective and you know it looks like oh my god he came here i paid him and now he's giving me a whole lot of work to do well listen i'm not asking you to do exhausting. it <laughs> I, i'm not asking you to do it in a week but let's let's prioritize it and start nailing down the things that are really important and you know if it's even if it's something as simple as you know, you don't have enough technicians to do the work that your sales reps are selling. Hey, we better get on it right now to get your um, your, techs, your techs hired because if your sales reps are selling business and they're not having it produced and then all of a sudden the customer out three or four weeks because we don't have enough techs to do the service, all of a sudden they get discouraged and you've got a lot of... You, you talk about uh, the negative nancy but i talk about a water cooler talk right the, these yeah. guys are hanging around a water cooler going man i lost another termite job or i lost another um crawl space job because they couldn't do it in time and somebody else did it faster and you know so there's a whole lot of stuff that goes in there's a lot of moving parts in a pest control company a lawn care company that you really have to define what's going on so the life of patrick wigley is working in the business, on the business, to make recommendations for people to continue to improve their top and bottom lines. That's so That's
1: funny you say that because I, I remember I gave a presentation one year at NPMA Pest World and it was on making your business profitable. And I had a person come up to me afterwards and was like, yeah, they were complaining about a lady in their office. She does this, she doesn't do this, she messes this up. And I'm like, well, just her." right yeah. we've been working with her for
2: five years oh i can't do that and i'm like well then why are you complaining <laughs> it's right. like either you do it or you don't so well, you know, anyway. we have we have a lot of um a lot of businesses that are owned by families and families feel for other families and that's a great thing but you're absolutely right normally what happens is when you have that employee that gives you grief for four years five years and then you make that decision to part ways within three weeks you will tell yourself that you should have done it three years ago and and that'll happen over and over and over again it happens with it happens with text happens with supervisors it happens inside people hey we we've got a really tough a tough business i mean i yeah i've often said to my clients you would have a wonderful business if you didn't have to deal with people right and that's employees and customers you'd have a great business but the fact <laughs> of the matter is we have both yeah yeah,
0: yeah. so i i mean I, it, I, it, it's sometimes it's the path of least resistance not to fire somebody because all of a sudden you say geez who's going to do that I, I gotta do it or you know so yeah. sometimes it is yeah.
2: Yeah. and then well, all of a sudden because you, you're up against a wall you hire somebody who can fog a mirror and they're gone in six months anyway so it's uh yeah. you're a tough tough position
1: Yeah. Well, I definitely have experienced the three weeks later. I know Dan hasn't. Dan is an excellent business owner. This is true. Yeah. So (laughs) so anyway. (laughs) Well, Patrick, as always, and I love connecting with you, love hearing your thoughts, love hearing. uh, I mean, I always get excited when I hear you talk about sales. This has been outstanding and just want to thank you very much for coming on the podcast. And one more time, just can you just remind our listeners how they can reach out to you? We're going to put a link to your website on the show notes. I think you had a resource that you also want to link up. We'll link that as well. Um, And just a quick plug here for Patrick. Uh, He's excellent. I've seen some of the work that he's done. And, and much like Dan, he works with a lot of our clients. And I think yep. uh, I think if this is something that you're struggling with, it would be well worth your time to reach out to Patrick and, and try to get a handle on what's going on. So anything, how, how do they get in touch with you, Patrick? Yeah, I, I think the
2: be best there. way to go, it, and, and I, I am I, right now, I'm very fortunate. I mean, I, I took uh, a year off because of the COVID and I started back in, G, in January and I've been busier than a, a one arm paper hanger. And that's fantastic. And I um, um, went through today, I'll have another five or six calls from people that requested uh, quotes from while wow, I was on vacation last week. But I guess the best way to go would be uh, salesbydesign.com, www.salesbydesign.com. And if you're interested, take a look at the website. There's multiple opportunities. I've, I've got next level coaching, uh, one-on-one coaching, what have you. Um, you can take a look at that, and then there's a button down there you can push for request for quote, and I'll give you a free, you know, consultation. We'll talk on the phone for a little bit, see if there's a match. And if and if I don't think there's a match, I'm not going to take your money just to take your money. Um, I I just had a conversation uh, two weeks ago with somebody and said, listen, I don't think you're ready. I don't. I'm not coming down to you and and having you spend um, and make an investment on something that you're not ready for. And mm-hmm. um, you know, that's kind of the way I roll. I I work. I work my customers so that they stay on the books for a long time. So um, I've got clients. I started back in 2000, and I've got clients that use me every single year. Uh, some multiple times a, a year. Some six times a year, and and some once or twice a year. So I'm I'm here for the long haul. Like I said, I'm still around here for a while. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. we can't my
0: automate.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. No. But
0: Dan. That, Dan? Th- so we can't automate sales and get rid of the salespeople because you got 10 or 15 yeah, years.
1: You cannot do.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's all about me. It's not about anything else. Listen, if you want to automate it, if you want to have robots, you can do that. But uh, That's right. I'm going to stick with I love salespeople. That's it. Dan, yeah. any any parting thoughts before we close up here?
1: And again, this has been fantastic. Thank you, Patrick. Any yeah, parting I, thoughts? Dan? Like I said, I, I have
0: lots of clients who use Pat and um, never heard anything bad. and. Uh, Um, And in fact, most of the times he's he's able to improve your sales, uh, not just processes, but uh, develop confidence in in salespeople. So uh,
1: thanks for coming. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, folks, there we are. We're at the end of yet another PMP Industry Insider podcast. Remember, if you like this episode, please rate and review us on Apple or Spotify, however it is that you consume the podcast. And with that, we'll see you all next time. Thanks again, Patrick. we we'll see you guys. Bye-bye Thanks, now. Yeah, Thanks yeah. so much.